1967. Adonai is king, let the earth rejoice. Let the many coasts and islands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. Fire goes before him, setting ablaze his foes on every side. He flashes of lightning, light up the world. The earth sees and it trembles. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of Adonai, at the presence of the Lord of all the earth. The heavens declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. All who worship images will be put to shame. Those who make their boast in worthless idols bow down to him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad. Adonai, the daughters of Yehuda, rejoice at your rulings. For you, Adonai, most high over all the earth, you are exalted far above all gods. You who love Adonai hate evil. He keeps his faithful servants safe. He rescues them from the power of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in Adonai, you righteous, and give thanks on on recalling his holiness. Thank you, Barbara. been quite a morning and um, I know we have had a, uh, a whole bunch of experience but um, I trust that that what God has in mind for this portion of our service will be established and so I want to pause and, uh, and pray for that. Lord, this is an awesome reminder to us of who you are, and we pray, Lord God, for eyes to see and hearts, Lord, that are willing to hear your word, what you're telling us, and the willingness, Lord God, to boldly embrace the truth of your word with courage, Lord, in these uncertain times. We uh, ask all this, Lord, in the name of Yeshua. Amen. <coughs> I looked at the uh, Denver Post, which is not something you should do in, in the morning sometimes. <laughs> and um, there was a picture of a um, grieving family holding a dead boy, a grieving Palestinian family. And as a parent and grandparent, your heart goes out to them. (coughs) I can't even begin to imagine what it would feel like to have my grandson die because of bombs or missiles. But at the same time as I looked at that, I thought, where have pictures of the impact of 900 missiles been? 900 missiles have, at this point, a thousand, I've lost count. These missiles have rained upon Israel consistently and there's so little that has been said 
And for me, particularly as, as one who hold, holds a dual citizenship with Israel, I'm an Israeli by birth, it makes me feel very alone recognizing the fact that Israel is becoming more and more isolated internationally, diplomatically. The statement I read to you from the United, from the U.S. Uh, Senate blessed me, but at the same time I read all the other things. Um, I read that the Prime Minister of Egypt, Morsi, has been quoted as saying that Israel is a vampire. Not exactly diplomatic language if you want to do business with somebody. Someone that ostensibly you have some sort of a peace treaty. And I think for us who support Israel, what's going on in Israel not only represents what's going on in Israel, but also it represents uncertain times here in, in, our, in our own country. You know, as the election was coming, was approaching, ever so often I'd hear these horrendous rumors from one side or the other. And it is easy to get swept up by those as it is easy to look <coughs> at what's going on in, in Israel, in the Middle East, and be swept up with concern and with fear. And I, I've been sensing for the last several weeks that it, it is essential for us who are followers of Yeshua to hang on with both hands and both feet to one basic fact. That is, who Allah say? He is on the throne. And this psalm is, is one of a number of psalms beginning in 93 to 100 that trumpet God's sovereign control over the earth. And it's intriguing that in Hebrew it doesn't say the Lord reigns, but it actually puts it in the past tense. The Lord reigned, and that's some, somewhat peculiar until you realize the way Scripture approaches prophecy, and that is from God's perspective, from God's mindset. This is not something that's going to happen in the future, but it's already a done deal. And we, because of our myopia and our inability to see things, you know, we are dealing with reality right here in front of our noses. It's hard for us to see beyond that, but it is imperative, it is absolutely crucial for us to emphasize for ourselves and to live by the truth of the Word of God, and that is that God is supreme. And that is what the psalm sets out to do. Four times it states, the Lord reigns. In verse 5, the Lord of all the earth, Adon Kol Haaretz, which is, by the way, something 
we had seen in, in Joshua as Israel was preparing to cross over uh, the Jordan. And the Lord was saying to, to Joshua, this is what's going to happen. I, the Lord of all the earth, is going to dry up this, this river that you think is impassable. This is Joshua chapter 3. And then also in, in verse 9, For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. El Elyon, you, you rule above all other so-called deities and all other powers. And then finally, in the same verse, you are exalted above all gods. What this tells us is that despite the presence of evil in this world, despite the presence of sin in our life, despite the presence of sin in society around us, despite the strategy of, of evil, God is in control. The Lord reigns let the earth rejoice. It's a basic security in the face of overwhelming odds that sometimes come over us like a tidal wave, like a tsunami. They come over us in, in waves that seem to come and come and come again before we have an opportunity to catch our breath. Sometimes these waves come and they continue to, to come and to where we have lost ability to be able to control and manage things. And somewhere, somewhere deep inside, we have this basic conviction that regardless of the tidal wave, God is one who still manages and works and is in control of events in our life and events in the world. Let the earth rejoice Words for joy appear in the psalm six times. What does that tell you? It tells you that the perspective, and we'll talk more about joy in further on. The perspective, if you know, if you know who God is, if you know the fact that understand the fact that He rules, you have this basic bedrock conviction that gives you security in, in a very shaky in a very confused world and it's something that is precious to us part of what happens for us who have earned have entered into a relationship with God we sometimes take that cheaply you know we sort of come to God and say yo God what's happening thinking of developing this buddy-buddy relationship. And yes, the Lord is our friend, but He's first of all the master of the universe. Yes, we need to have that security in the Lord, which is what the book of Hebrews tells us, chapter 4, enter boldly. However, that also is based on the basic understanding on the fact that coming to God's presence is not a cheap commodity but very precious 
And we see that in verse 2. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of the throne. And if you remember the Torah and the giving of, my, of the Torah on Mount Sinai, you remember that this is a language that comes from that, from that occasion. Just to read to you a couple of verses in Exodus 19. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Excuse me. And yes, I realize the f basic fact the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai doesn't happen every day. And God doesn't reveal himself in such incredible intensity and fireworks as we see in Mount Sinai. But if we seek him, we understand two basic facts that seem to be contradictory. On one hand, the fact that God is eager to enter into a relationship with us. Jeremiah tells us, if you seek me earnestly, you will find me. However, the other fact, it's both and, the other fact is that God obscures and limits his presence for us because of our sin. Think of it. From what you, you read in Scripture, the presence of God in, full, in its full glory would blow your brains. It would be somewhat like a person staring directly into an atom bomb going off. People have done that and have suffered, have lost their vision, etc., etc. Coming to God's presence... It's both and. God welcomes us, but he wants us to realize that there is some degree of separation at this point. Why? Because of our sin. And so that's what you find in a tabernacle in the temple. That you have the Holy of Holies, but as you're going from the courtyard into the holy place, into the holy of holies, it gets holier, but also God becomes more distant from the rest of people with the exception of the high priest. It's designed to communicate to us one basic fact, that is God's presence is precious. If we're earnest and sincere about wanting to know God, we have to be willing to pay the price which involves us coming to terms with who we are in relationship to who God is. Come to terms with our sin. At some point, there will be no separation. We will see God head on. We see that in Revelation. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine. For the glory of God gives its light. And the Lamb 
is its lamp. Isn't that something? There'll be absolutely no separation. Complete ability, free, free and complete ability to communicate with God. But what Scripture points out to us is that closeness and intimacy with God is based on our understanding just who He is and having a basic grasp of His holiness and His sovereignty. And sovereignty, by the way, involves two basic things. Sovereignty involves the fact that God lays out plans from way back and sovereignty involves the fact that God has the power to make those plans come about. Now it's hard to see it in this world that is topsy-turvy. It's hard to see it in our life sometimes because it seems like our life is all about us and what we do. And it's not as if God micromanipulates and, and works with us as if we're robots. He certainly gives us lots of latitude, lots of freedom However, the big stuff, his ultimate plans, will get done. Will get done. Because he is sovereign. He, is, he rules. He reigns. Isaiah 46 puts it this way. Remember this. Fix it in your mind. Take it to heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. What I have said, I will bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. You may not get the full impact of this in some translations, but what the Hebrew word for plan, yatsar, means form or fashion or create. What it literally means is that God created His plans, and as far as He's concerned, it's a done deal. And all that remains at this point is for those plans to unfold bit by bit until they're completely accomplished. Why? Because... God's sovereignty also involves His irresistible and relentless power to bring to effect His plans. Now, you look at this and you say, what about this horrendous evil that's going on, that has been going on? And Scripture doesn't dance around that. Scripture doesn't dance around the fact that, yes, there is evil, and yes, the adversary, Satan, is seeking to frustrate and to derail God's plans and purposes. And God gives His enemies enough room, enough rope to hang themselves. We see evil succeeding on the short term. And God allows the forces of evil some limited success. But when he is ready, he acts decisively in ways that blows our minds 
But really shouldn't because God has been at work all along. The fact that there is opposition at work is spread out throughout Scripture. We recite that each Shabbat when we say, whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Arise, O Lord, may your enemies, your enemies be scattered. This is Numbers chapter 10, 35, Psalm 8, 2. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. It's part of reality. But what we see here in this psalm is that when God unleashes His power, nothing stands in His way. Fire goes before Him, verse 3 of here in Psalm 97, fire goes before him and consumes his foes on every side. And if you think about the way fires work, you'll get what this is talking about. This summer we had the entire state go up, as, go up in flames, or it seemed like it. We had fires in the north, we had fires in the south, we had fires everywhere. If you've seen pictures of, of those fires... They're frightening because it looks like they're absolutely unstoppable. And Scripture describes the movement of God like that kind of fire. Nothing can stand in its path and He will consume His enemies. We've seen that in history. If you're a student of history, you, Scripture or otherwise, you'll go back and see all the people who have endeavored to stand before God and, and were consumed. Verse 4, His lightning lights up the, the world, the earth sees and trembles. I think we've all been in storm, thunderstorms where lightning and thunder come and, and you realize that you better find shelter because otherwise you'll get fried. That's kind of the language that is used here. Verse 5, The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. I, I've always had a hard time with that. What does mountain melting look like? You know, it's not, it's not like, like cheese or butter or something. Until, until, as I was preparing, the Lord brought to mind the explosion of Mount St. Helens, the eruption in 1980. Incredible. The summit slid away. There was a huge landslide, rock and ash, volcanic gas and steam. Was accelerating, are, are you ready for this? At 300 miles an hour. And the, then later on, it, it produced a column of ash and gas that rose more than 15 miles into the atmosphere. It blew two, 520 million tons of ash across the United States and caused complete darkness in Spokane, Washington, 250 miles from the volcano. You talk about power being unleashed. 
again frightening and and the psalmist here is describing the power of God as utterly irresistible and it's hugely important for us in a day and age when it seems like much of society is shifting in a God-less direction we have to be moving in a God-word direction what happens as God's calendar progresses towards the end times you see humanity becoming harder and harder and more and more rebellious you see that for example in Revelation chapter 9 where God pours judgment on mankind and people do not repent they, they, this is chapter 9 they did not stop worshipping demons and idols they did not repent in chapter 16 the sun was given power to scorch them and instead of repenting they curse God now you talk about brainlessness spiritual brainlessness that is there that's reality um, God didn't promise that he will put us in a bubble to protect us from all sorts of difficulties but what he did promise is that he'll walk with us in and through those difficulties this is particularly true for the nation of Israel because the Lord states that through Zechariah that he who touches Israel touches the apple of God's eye you've seen that with all kinds of nations the scripture tells us that those who come against Israel will suffer God's judgment Zechariah chapter 12 on that day I will set out to destroy all the nations that attack Jerusalem and you may have heard that that's beginning to happen in a small way perhaps got an email from a brother the pastor of a congregation there and he, he said that he and his wife just spent the last 15 minutes in a safe room after they heard the silent sirens a bomb had landed 10 kilometers from Jerusalem when you think about the fact that this, this uh, rocket, this missile could not only have hit Jerusalem, the Jewish side but could have landed on the, on, on the uh, Golden Dome but it simply tells us that people are people harden their hearts it's not just towards towards Israel it's towards God in general and as we look at scripture we understand that what how God deals with Israel as a nation is his basic template his basic model for how he deals with us he keeps his covenant promises he disciplines people when they sin
and he blesses them as they follow him. So whoever is hearing this psalm, and by the way, the psalms are obviously songs that were meant for worship. Whoever is hearing this obviously is in a situation where they're experiencing a great deal of difficulty. And they're challenged, they're challenged to love God, to persevere with Him. The Lord preserves, in verse 10, the Lord preserves the souls of His godly ones. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. The word, Hebrew word for those who love the Lord, chassid, um, is often translated as devoted ones. And you may, have, you may be familiar with this term that refers to the Jews during the times of Antiochus Epiphanes who persevered despite severe persecution by this madman. Those who love the Lord, who are devoted to Him, delight in worshiping Him. You have on one hand those who worship false things and those who need to worship the real God. And before we launch off into pointing fingers at all kinds of folks, remember that idols are something that we all struggle with. An idol simply is anything that you put above God in your affection, in your devotion, in the kind of time and effort and money you give to. You know, you can simply ask yourself, what is number one in my agenda? What is number one in my agenda? If it is to get ahead, to get even with, with my bills, to get good kind of health to have my relationships fixed those are all good things however the good things that we have come from God and we can either desire to be devoted to him or we can worship all these other things and find ourselves frustrated because we don't get them every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the Lord from the Father of Light. And then we're called because we, we have this basic conviction that we know that God is sovereign, that He's in control, we're called to rejoice. Verse 8, here in chapter, uh, in Psalm 97, Zion hears and rejoices and the villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments, O Lord. Verse 12, Rejoice in the Lord, you who are righteous, and praise His holy name. Praise the name that is to be remembered. What does it mean to rejoice? You know, one of these lovely scriptural words that we use and really have no clue what it means. It's like humble. Humble yourself in the sight of God. Well, you sit there and think humble thoughts, right? Put uh, humble software into your computer. 
Well, yes and no. All these things begin with an attitude adjustment. You first of all begin with the basic conviction who, like you say, God is on the throne. That shapes and fashions your attitude towards life, towards difficulty. And I saw this comment in one of the uh, Jewish commentaries on this that really grabbed me and I wanted to read to you the statement that rejoicing involves a spiritual experience that causes us to erupt into a song that consists of a perception that all events even those that are incomprehensible to us are part of God's plan and are for our benefit that's hard to to embrace isn't it I think the Lord teaches us or the Lord wants to teach us to go from an attitude that says God get me through this just in one piece so I don't fall apart and 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 make a, an an utter fool of myself to where you say okay God you you're going to get me through this to where you say God you're in control and you're working a plan and you want to teach me something here so would you please teach me and would you please unplug my ears and and give me the ability to hear and understand what you're doing so that I can learn and follow and collaborate with you in your plan. Because your plans are for my benefit. But that requires us getting our arms around the fact that A, the Lord is sovereign, that He's got the plans, the power, and He's committed to us. Just like He's committed to the nation of Israel. We choose, rejoicing means that we choose to do that. We choose to worship the Lord in good or in bad times, folks. Saw this passage in Habakkuk that I read and part of me said, this is great stuff. And then on the other hand, I wanted to shut the book real quick uh, because it was pretty bracing. You know, it's one of those things that slaps you in the face. Habakkuk says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, you say, okay, end of story. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Lord God is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on to the heights. How do you do that in difficult times? You can't unless you have a basic conviction that God is working His plans for the good in your life. That He's not interested in messing with you and ruining your life. But He has good plans for you and through you to impact other people and to receive the glory that He deserves to receive. Rejoicing is an attitude, requires an attitude adjustment, but it also requires action. We learn to stick to the Lord like glue.
We choose to follow the Lord with holy chutzpah. And the one that really speaks to me, and with this I'm going to conclude, is Caleb. By the way, I don't know if you knew that Caleb came from Gentile stock that was absorbed into Israel. Here's what Caleb has to say. But my brothers, Joshua 14, my brothers who went up with, with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. And the Hebrew there is, is very, very graphic. It literally s- tells you that uh, he fully went after the Lord. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to translate. But it basically means that if God was here, Caleb was right behind. And the Lord knew that and made a special covenant promise to Caleb. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he he went to and his descendants will inherit it. You know, we, we all want God's blessings. Don't we? Is there anybody here that wants to be cursed? <laughs> we all want God's blessings. And God's blessings come to us as we learn to walk and follow in his path through good times and through bad times as we learn to persevere, as we learn to rejoice in Him, as we learn to worship Him, as we learn to stick to Him like glue, as we learn to condition our reality by the fact that who Al-Hakiseh, He is on the throne. Let's pray. And Would you please stand? Lord, we want to worship you. We want to rejoice in you. We want to give you thanks for the fact that you rule, that you are in control, that you have gracious and sovereign plans for us, that you have the power to implement those plans. And Lord God, we pray that that reality would filter in through our thoughts, through our emotions, and would be reflected in our actions, Lord. That because we know that you rule, that we will rejoice. Lord God, that we will not pursue other gods, other deities, Lord, idols of our own making, to try and fix life, But Lord, that we would pursue you. Pray, Lord God, for that heart to follow you wholeheartedly, Lord, and to celebrate in your presence. Receive much honor and glory in our life, Lord, as as you teach us how to do that. 
in the circumstances that we find ourselves in, Lord. We ask this in the name of Yeshua. Amen.